0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the President of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, this Sunday is Easter Sunday and it will no doubt be an Easter to remember. Most churches will be as empty as the tomb on Resurrection morning. The churches around the United States and really around the world are gonna be gathering in homes and other places to worship electronically trying to be connected as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. It'll be an Easter to remember, but it can still be a very positive experience for you and for your family. I encourage you uh, to plan special activities on Sunday. Go ahead and get dressed up like you're going to church for Easter Sunday and participate fully in the worship experiences your church makes available to you, and perhaps even some other experiences that you can share with extended family and friends who attend other churches or experiencing Easter in other ways or even in other time zones. So I hope this Easter is an Easter to remember for you. And to help with that, I'm stepping out of the normal podcast pattern right now and sharing some messages with you to have encouragement about the themes we're living through during these COVID-19 days. And today, I wanna share part of a message with you about the evidence for and the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Hello, Gateway community, and welcome once again to President's Chapel. It's my privilege this week to talk with you once again about how we're living together through these COVID-19 days, but also this week, To share a message with you that will motivate you and hopefully help put this coming Easter Sunday celebration into fresh perspective. This is going to be an Easter to remember. Uh, As I wrote in my blog this week, churches across America and around the world are going to be as empty as the tomb was on Resurrection Sunday. But just because churches are empty doesn't mean we can't celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. So I encourage you. Uh, To plan and execute a meaningful celebration of the resurrection in your family. I know most of you will be participating in churches electronically, so I encourage you to do that with your family, but also perhaps to participate in more than one service over the weekend with some of your extended family or friends who may even attend other churches. And then go ahead and get dressed up on Easter Sunday. Plan a special meal together. Do some of the normal things you would do to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus and to have a wonderfully uh, celebrative Easter Sunday. Go ahead and do those things and make this an Easter to remember in many different ways as you worship with your family and with your friends. Now, a few weeks ago, uh, I was asked to speak at a church that translates their message into multiple languages because of that, I was asked to create a manuscript and send it in some weeks in advance. And so I worked hard on that, and I want to also give uh, Eric Espinosa some credit because he also worked really hard on that manuscript. We sent that manuscript out as a sermon starter to all of the churches and pastors in the West United States. We tried to do that through our state convention partners, hoping to simply encourage pastors and give them an additional resource to help them during their study time leading up to Easter. But I'm also sharing that message in a couple of places. Uh, I'll be preaching the full message this weekend at St. Stephen's Church here in the greater LA area, and they'll be broadcasting that as part of their Easter sunrise service at 6 a.m. We're doing that service live, by the way, so if you want to get up and watch that, we would welcome you at at that early hour on Sunday. But I also want to share just an excerpt of that message with you here today. You know, when you think about the reliability of the story of the resurrection, you really uh, demonstrate its reliability the same way you demonstrate other historical facts. Whether it's uh, Washington crossing the Delaware or the assassination of Abraham Lincoln, historians determine the actuality of events based on the reliability of witnesses and the documents who attest to those events. Now, we're fortunate and that we have one of the most validated and best validated documents from the ancient world, and that's the New Testament, to draw our story from, of, about the resurrection. So I'd like to read to you Matthew 28, an extended passage of Scripture that tells us one gospel writer's version of the resurrection story. Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 1. After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went out to view the tomb. There was a violent earthquake because an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and approached the tomb. He rolled back the stone and was sitting on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was as white as snow. The guards were so shaken by fear of him that they became like dead men. The angel told the women, "'Don't be afraid because I know you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He is not here for he has risen just as he said.'" "'Come and see the place where he lay. "'Then go quickly and tell his disciples, "'He has risen from the dead, "'and indeed, he's going ahead of you to Galilee. "'You will see him there. "'Listen, I have told you.'" So departing quickly from the tomb, with fear and great joy, they ran to tell his disciples the news. Just then Jesus met them and said, "'Greetings.' They came up, took hold of his feet, and worshiped him. Then Jesus told them, "'Do not be afraid.'" Go and tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. As they were on their way, some of the guards came into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. After the priests had assembled with the elders and agreed on a plan, they, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money and told them, Say this, his disciples came during the night and stole him while we were sleeping. If this reaches the governor's ears, we will deal with him and keep you out of trouble. They took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been spread among Jewish people to this day. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. When he saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you and remember... I am with you always to the end of the age. Now, if we were in a seminary classroom, we'd spend a great deal of time on the textual evidence that's being presented here. But since we're more in a church service type format on this president's chapel, I want to simply assume that most of you who are hearing this accept the historicity of the New Testament. And you recognize these eyewitness accounts of its creators. And really for you, uh, this data is beyond serious debate. We're confident the Bible is an accurate record of Jesus' resurrection and the early Christian movement that resulted from it. And from our New Testament, uh, though, we, we can see some historical facts which, depending on how you appraise them, uh, depend on whether or not you really believe in the resurrection. William Lane Craig pointed these out. He said uh, these facts include, first, that Jesus was buried. Okay, we see that. Second, his tomb was later found empty, yes. Yes. Third, there are multiple accounts of individuals who saw Jesus after his death. Some are in this text and some are in other texts of scriptures. And then fourth, his disciples zealously spread his message after his death. Now, what best accounts for these facts? Well, we of course believe that what best accounts for these facts is the reality of the resurrection. And while I could spend time addressing each one of these and talking about them in detail, I really just want to focus on the last one today as the ultimate evidence for the resurrection, and that is the changed lives of those who claimed to have witnessed the resurrected Christ. Now, the first people who discovered the resurrection were the women who went to the tomb. Mary, uh, Mary Magdalene, and some other unnamed women. The angel met them. He informed them that Jesus was alive, and they were to tell other disciples the good news. And on the way to do that, Jesus appeared to them and gave them a further directive to tell the disciples to go to Galilee. Now, the Bible says the women had, quote, great joy when they later saw Jesus, and they, quote, took hold of his feet and worshiped him. You find that in our text in Matthew 28, 8 and 9. Jesus changed their lives forever in that initial encounter. Now, it's interesting, this detail that women were the first and most important eyewitnesses Uh, That would have been a reluctant fact for gospel writers to convey in those days, especially if they were writing something that wasn't factual. You see, uh, uh, Jewish society considered a woman's testimony basically worthless. But all four gospel writers report this detail of the story. If the writers were creating a strong fictional narrative, they would not have included women as the primary witnesses. This further underscores the authenticity of the story, by the way. The writers were reporting facts, not creating a fanciful tale to try to convince people of a lie. Now, the next people that were mentioned were the disciples. This likely means the 11 uh, that were left over from the original group Jesus chose to work most closely with him. Uh, When they met up with Jesus in Galilee, uh, he gave them these instructions, which we commonly call the Great Commission. Jesus told them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father "'and the Son and the Holy Spirit, "'teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. "'And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age.'" Now, we know from their subsequent activities how much this commission changed them. Every one of these 11 men devoted their lives to telling the story of the resurrected Jesus. They had seen him, they had heard his voice, They were transformed by the encounter so profoundly they devoted the rest of their lives to telling his story. Now beyond this text, there are many other characters in the Bible who believed in the resurrection and were transformed by its message. Men like Paul and Stephen changed history by their sacrificial service. Their stories are told in the Bible as examples of how the resurrected Jesus could change the lives of people who later followed him. Paul then influenced men like Timothy and Titus who became next-generation church leaders, sort of the first next-gen leaders, if you will. Now, while these men had not seen the resurrected Jesus, the testimony of others about him was so profound, men like this became Jesus' followers. Thus, the power of the resurrection impacted not only the first generation of Christians, but a second generation as well. Now, in our era, many of us have also been changed by the resurrection, Jesus has changed us as the latest next generation of Christians to follow our Lord. You see, early Christians lived zealously for the mission, inspired by the resurrection. And they did this in at least two ways. First, they gave up everything uh, to serve the the resurrected Lord. Uh, They recognized what Paul later wrote, if Christ has not been risen, then our proclamation is in vain. Uh, The resurrection validated God's redemptive plans. Paul later added, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. The resurrection confirmed that eternal life was possible. Uh, The Bible says, and if Christ has not been raised, those then who have fallen asleep in Christ have also perished. If we have put our hope in Christ for this life only, we should be pitied more than anyone. That's from 1 Corinthians 15. In all these ways, The resurrection determines the way early believers lived, and it also determined how many of them died. The fact that many early believers were willing to die for their faith is further evidence for the resurrection. What would motivate a person like Stephen to endure stoning? He believed in the resurrected Jesus, and in the moment of his death was actually comforted by Jesus. Stephen shouted, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God in Acts 7.56. You see, their belief in the resurrection explains why so many believers were willing to die for their faith. They knew they were preaching a life-changing message. They had experienced a life-transforming gospel. They also knew the resurrection assured them of eternal life. If they lived, they could testify about the resurrection. If they died, they knew they would be resurrected to eternal life. Listen, people do not die to preserve a myth or foster a lie. They will only die for truth so life-changing it is worth dying for. The willingness of early Christians to embrace martyrdom is further evidence of the reality of the resurrection. Now, in the face of all of this, a legitimate question can be raised. How much proof do you need to believe in the resurrection. Now a story in John chapter 11 about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead helps answer this question. You likely remember that story. It was a dramatic story of Jesus calling a man back to life. Would seeing a dead man come back to life be enough for you to believe in Jesus? Was it enough for the people in that day to believe in Jesus? The Bible says many people believed when they saw Lazarus alive, but some, the Bible says, in John 11:45, 45, but some refused to believe and stirred up strife with the Pharisees. The Pharisees did not doubt these witnesses. Instead, they began to plot and ask themselves, what are we going to do since this man is doing so many signs? You can find that in John 11:47. 47. The Pharisees saw the miracles Jesus was doing, and those who reported to the Pharisees saw these same wonders. Yet, they refused to believe and follow Jesus. In the face of undeniable evidence, a dead man walking, people still refused to believe in Jesus. Now, are you a little bit like the Pharisees and their followers? Do you demand proof of the resurrection? And yet, when it's presented, still have some doubts? How much proof do you really need? Would seeing the empty tomb be enough? How about meeting a terrifying angel who rolled away the stone? Or would you need to see the resurrected Jesus himself? In the last chapter of Matthew, people experienced all of these things and yet had very different responses. The empty tomb and the soldiers' report were not enough for the high priests. The angel rolling away the stone did not convince the soldiers. And even for some of the disciples, seeing the resurrected Jesus did not remove all their doubts. But the Bible says in Matthew 28, 17, in the midst of their doubts, they worshiped him anyway. Now, some of you have absolute certainty in your mind and heart of Christ's resurrection. But frankly, some of you and perhaps many of the people that you minister to and among may still doubt the resurrection really happened. Now, the characters in the biblical account teach us two important principles. Number one, factual data does not by itself produce faith in Jesus. And second, having some doubt by itself does not preclude worshiping the resurrected Jesus. On another occasion, Jesus addressed the issue of how doubt is often mixed with faith. In the story where Peter walked on water, Jesus rescued Peter when he began to sink and asked, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? That's in Matthew 14, 13. While Jesus' words were a corrective, they also teach us, even if we have doubts from time to time, that does not mean our faith is not real. Remember, before Peter's doubts caused him to sink, his faith motivated him to get out of the boat. Jesus' words were a corrective, yes, but they were not entirely a rebuke. Jesus often speaks of people who have little faith. You find that throughout Matthew, for example, in multiple different stories. Having little faith is not a badge of honor, but neither does it disqualify someone from being a true Jesus follower. If you have faith mixed with a few doubts, welcome to normal. That's the way many believers go through life. Having a little doubt does not mean eclipses all of the capacity we have for faith. Now, as you consider the reality of the resurrection and your faith in the resurrected Jesus, even in the midst of some doubt you may have from time to time, how do you respond to the resurrection and how to allow allow it to change your life today? Well, first, affirm the resurrection really happened. Listen, this coming Sunday, we're not going to celebrate a myth or an urban legend or a hoax we're going to celebrate that Jesus really was raised from the dead. We accept the historical reality of the resu- of the resurrection. We are sure that Jesus was raised from the dead. We're as sure as Jesus that Jesus was raised from the dead as we are that Nero lived in the first century and Roosevelt lived in the last century. We're sure of that historical reality. We're sure because eyewitness accounts and historic uh, historical records validate the true events in the past, and the Resurrection of Jesus meets all reasonable criteria for being a demonstrable, historic event. With intellectual honesty and academic integrity, we declare the Resurrection really happened. We affirm it as the most amazing moment in human history. Then, second, I want you to allow the power of the Resurrection to change you. The Resurrection interprets and validates the life and death of Jesus. He can still change your life today because of the resurrection. Easter is a day to dress up and go to electronic church and celebrate with a big meal with family or with friends. Yes, it's all of that, but it's more. It's about celebrating that Jesus has changed us. And for people who have not yet met him, it's celebrating that Jesus can change them. Anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord and believes that God has raised him from the dead will receive the gift of salvation. So today's the day to reinforce this in our minds and to pray for people to experience this on this coming Easter and to do all we can to make sure this is an Easter Sunday to celebrate the new life possible in Jesus Christ and the new life we have in Jesus Christ. And then finally, I want this Easter to motivate you to accept your role in the mission inspired by the resurrection. It's at the end of the resurrection story we receive the Great Commission. You are living for something and you will die for something. Now the COVID-19 pandemic has put some new perspective on life for many people. It's no longer important to live for a larger house or a nicer car or an expensive wardrobe. It's No longer important to fill up your days rooting for your favorite sports team or pursuing your uh, favorite avocation or hobby. Many people have had their jobs, their careers, and their achievements stripped from them. We've even been separated from many friends and forced to just isolate with a few close people, mainly just our families. In the midst of all of that, it's important to take a a step back and ask what really matters. And for most of us, What really matters most is our relationship to God through Jesus Christ, and then getting that message to as many people as possible. You're giving your life for something. In the light of this resurrection story, make the decision to give your life to fulfill the great commission of Jesus Christ. The only message worthy of sacrificing your life is the message of the resurrection, And when you focus on sharing that message, you give other people the means to meaningful life now and eternal life when they die. In our culture right now, so many people are talking about death and dying. And yet, as Christians, we see that as a natural part of life and really a portal into the experience of eternal life with God forever. We must deliver that message, not just on this Resurrection Sunday, but every day as we go forward, motivated by the story of the resurrection. Listen, I want that to be the result of this unusual Easter Sunday in your life a new commitment to living your life, sharing the resurrection story with as many people as possible. And particularly as a school, as a seminary, devoted to this mission, that we come together in a fresh way to make that happen in these next months as we continue to live through and recover from what's happening globally as a result of the coronavirus. Well, this is gonna be an Easter to remember. It's gonna be memorable for a lot of reasons but I want it to be also an Easter that you remember as a day that you reaffirmed your commitment to the re- reality of the resurrection. You accepted the truth of it and the significance of it for your, uh, as a believer, and then you reaffirmed your commitment to get the resurrection message to as many people as possible. If that happens as a result of this very memorable Easter, it truly will be an Easter to remember. Let's pray just for a moment together asking God to bless us as a school and bless the churches where we worship this coming Sunday and make this the kind of Easter that will be life-changing for us and for many others that we impact. Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to speak about Easter and to talk about the resurrection of your son, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the resurrection power that I've experienced through salvation, the sustaining power that you give me to continue in my ministry role, And then, Father, thank you for the grace you give me to extend my life to get the message of the resurrection to as many people as possible. I pray that might be all of our prayer together as the family, as the community of Gateway Seminary. And then, Father, we pray today for the churches that are represented in our school and the churches that we serve as a school. Pour out your Holy Spirit's power on the churches this, this coming Easter that we might see breakthroughs in the lives of thousands and thousands of people as they worship you in a fresh way, in a memorable way, in an unusual way this coming Sunday. Thank you for hearing our prayer and for honoring us with your presence through President's Chapel and through the technology we're using to communicate these days. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining me today, and God bless you as you continue to serve as part of the Gateway community and the Gateway family making a difference all around the world.